Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, all of you winners? I am Chris Sinclair, the one and only host of the Good Bottle Podcast, brought to you by, you know, some sub, you know, other co-host, I guess, uh, Drew Garrison, who's joining me uh, this evening. And we are drinking things and we're talking about things and uh, you're welcome um, because that's what we do. And we've just decided that we were going to do this podcast and uh, by simply just doing what we normally do and just hitting record. So you get all of the frivolity and all of the terribleness that comes along with that. So you're welcome. Uh, Drew, how are you this evening? I'm good. I like I like how you always have the ability to throw me off. And sometimes you throw me off just with how completely unprepared you are for this. Like, I feel like I do my due diligence and like I write down notes and I'm like, okay, this is what I want to say. And then you start and I'm like, why do I put this much effort in? Like, why do I even do that? If my co-host potentially, I don't know, I think the broadcast, the, the podcast is brought to you by me. So um that and Casa Sanchez chips, those are those are our people that that bring it to you. But, uh, the I'm, I'm good, man. I'm I'm really good. I had a really fun weekend in Napa with the wife, and although she wasn't feeling great the whole time, it was the first time that she's got to kick back and relax and not have to worry about a three year old child or anything else in her life for a couple of days. So I think she still appreciated it. And I'm excited to be back on the podcast talking fun stuff and talking about um, some trademark disputes that we think we got a little kick out of, as well as some big investments by by Southern Glazer. But probably what I'm most excited about is is our guest tonight. And the reason is, is because when I proposed this idea to you, you were like, she won't do it. And then I was like... I think she will. And he's like, he's like, yeah, but you have to ask her because she'll say no to me, but she might say yes to you. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put on the charm via text message. And it worked. Uh, it, it took a little bit of convincing, but it worked. And so our guest tonight is the co-owner of Casbah in Sacramento, a place that we talk about a lot on this show. Cause it is one of our favorites where she is, uh, where she owns it with her business partner. Tanya is also one of our favorite people. Um, she is the reason for one of my favorite Instagram accounts, which is damn it, Debbie Wu, which makes me laugh so much. Our guest tonight is none other than Debbie Chang, AKA Debbie Wu. Debbie, thank you so much for getting outside your comfort zone and joining us on the good bottle podcast. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Maybe, maybe not. not really. Honestly, guys, this is cool. Thank you so much. I love it. It was just like right out the gate. She's like, yep, delivering exactly what we thought we we're going to do. Okay. So, Debbie, we have, we have two questions for you. First one is, what are you drinking? And the second one is, why did you decide to open up a bar called Casbah? Okay. Uh, the first thing is, what am I drinking? And I actually have two things next to me, um, both that um, both things that I love from Casbah. Um, 
One is 6100 Trinity Red Wine. Uh, are any Noir grapes uh, specifically from Armenia? And then the other thing is um, Arak. Uh, in this case, Golden Arak Ramallah from West Bank. Um, a spirit that is traditionally consumed in Middle East and the Eastern Mediterranean. Which one to sip first? I don't know. Um, <laughs> same, same time. <laughs> same time. Yeah, like we said, we're doing the two we're dual strolls, two, two straws right there. Right, right. And then the second question, why did you decide to open up Casbah? So um, I didn't open Casbah, but Tanya and I worked there first as servers and then bartenders, uh, finally managers for a number of years. Uh, each, each of us were about there for 10 years before we decided to um, approach the owner at the time, Paul and Connie, uh, brother-sister duo who also uh, owned Top of the World until recently. Um, that was about five years ago. When we're like, hey, we love Casbah. Um, would you consider selling it to us? And um, they thought about it for a while and decided it was the right time. Nice. And when you and you know you're offering one of the the more unique unique bars in in Sacramento, and I I know it's like one of my favorite. Like when I first got introduced to it, I was like, what is this wonderful spot? And I can't wait for the day that we get to, you know, dine inside and go back and, and all that fun stuff. But when you offer something that is so unique uh, for for the area and like, you know, you have these really cool spirits and stuff. And and, and again, on this podcast, we do talk about we, we talk about the bar a lot, but we also talk about a rock a lot because both Chris and I are are big fans. But um, it's it's so much more than that, because it really is like uh almost like this form of escapism when you walk into your bar. And I just wonder like, you know, what, what kind of keeps you guys going to do something so unique and fun or what are some of your favorite features about the, about the restaurant right now? It's definitely a special place. Um, one of my favorite things about it is on any given night, you know, at least pre pandemic um, when it was crowded, et cetera. Um, one could hear, you know, five, six, seven, eight different languages being spoken. People came uh, and found community there. Um, hookah pre-pandemic was part of what we did, and I miss it a lot. We're not doing it right now. Um, but it was more than just, oh, hey, let's go smoke a hookah. But it actually um, promoted a sense of community. A lot of people from around the world would come and just spend time, you know. Um, I think Kaz was a really special place. It, um, a lot of people, when they do enter for the first time are kind of enchanted and typically return. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I know that I, I was absolutely that in, in that position. And then, um, you know, at, at one point I, I do have to say though, like you guys lost your mind and you were like, we're going to hire Chris and Claire to work here. Um, so Chris, why don't you talk about your experience with Casbah and with, with, uh, with Debbie and, and Tanya and just like what you love about that bar and what you think sets it apart from everywhere else in Sacramento? Well, when, uh, when I 
decided to work at Casbah, I decided that I would cast a spell. And I said, I am going to make these folks decide that I'm the most amazing human being ever. And that they couldn't exist without me. And it worked. I worked there for what was supposed to be, uh, I think, Deb, Deb, it was only supposed to be like, what, three months, four months, I think. Um, Yeah, something short term. Yeah. Uh, Really what happened was I had just gotten done uh, running La Cosecha. I was taking a short hiatus from the bar world. Uh, and was trying to figure out sort of where I wanted to go, what was like a cool place to go. And um, Jen, my wife, who we speak about lovingly on this podcast because she listens, and if we don't do it, uh, she'll hurt me, um, uh, was in there one night. And uh, I think De- I think Tanya and and Jen were talking. And all I know is Jen came home and she was like, you've got an interview lined up. Like you can like, just go in, like you're going back to work. You're not allowed to stay home anymore. (laughs) And so I went in Tanya, Tanya was very much Tanya. Like, Hey, how's it going? What's up? And then Debbie didn't know me uh, from Adam. So uh, Debbie and I actually had the real conversation about, I don't even remember what it was, but really pretty quickly uh i fell in love with both uh both debbie and the space uh the space was a clusterfuck of mismanagement and um and like poor build out uh from the owner prior um it was definitely designed by someone who was like creating creating a space that was pretty and not a place that was terribly functional um and Debbie and I whipped it into something that was workable. Like we, we like, we got to work pretty quick and um, just reconfigured where things were set up, where things were put. I mean, every place that you go into has its own culture. Um, and so you always have to keep that in mind. You never being an elephant in China shop, whenever you're like, you're going into a place never, never works. Um, but I was really excited to actually be there and to feel um, for first time in a long time in my career, like I was out of place and that I was coming into someone else's environment because at that point in time, I was like designing my own environment a lot. Um, and, and really Debbie, uh, and Tanya made me feel really, really welcomed. And like my input was valuable and it was great, man. I like I fell in love with the space and the culture and the community and the bosses and the coworkers. Like it's it's still to this day, hands down, one of the one of the best places I've ever worked in my life. Um, and in no no short part of that is is Debbie and Tanya. Ah, uh, I love that. You really you you, you really kind of got aggressive there with like the mismanagement at first. I was like I was like, where's this going? <laughs> That was, that was that was all Paul and, and Connie, and they know it. So it's, uh, it's not, also, it's not like they're going to listen to this, and even if they do, they'll go, mm, "All right, fine." <laughs> uh, Chris, what are you drinking? I am uh, I'm drinking something that was inspired actually by Debbie's uh, email, um, as uh, uh, we've talked about prior on this on this podcast. Uh, now in this new season of ours, where we're attempting to actually be um, professional, like in a lot of really sort of like uh 
um, self delusion. Um, we send out an email to people in like in a pretext to like make them think that we're professional. And in, 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 in Debbie's response of things that we like, she did not want to talk about. It was, don't make me nerd out about the rum that you and Drew are going to nerd out about, uh, which is totally fine. Um, so I looked at my bar and I was like, oh, I haven't had that in a long time. Uh, so I'm drinking, uh, I'm drinking, uh, rum Clement, uh, VSOP. Oh God, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. Because, mm-hmm. yep. All right. It's All right. We're, def- we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to nerd out on it now. Um, Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh man. So you know what's, what's what's funny about that is I had a guy reach out to me today and and ask me to put together a rum tasting for him. And immediately, every time someone asks me to do that, my first thought is, "Ooh, I'm gonna get these people introduced to rum Clement VSOP." Like always, <laughs> every single time someone's like, "Do this for me," I'm like, "Yes." I'm going to get my my claws into you. So, for for the listeners at home, Chris, can you tell can you tell us a little bit about the rum Clement VSOP? Yeah, sure. It's a it's a Martinique rum rum agricole, which means that uh, it's made from uh, sugarcane juice and and not the byproduct of cooking down uh, sugarcane juice to create sugar, um, which which would be a. Um, uh, uh, forgive me drew what's the what's the what's the term molasses? Uh, uh, molasses industrial rum industrial there that's the thank you you did a great yeah. job man that you're a great co-host <laughs> you're a fantastic co-host i if i'm gonna bring you this episode i gotta bring i gotta bring everything i can to the table so it's a good point um vsop though is uh follows the the french um uh method of or a uh, French labeling for aging. So VSOP like cognacs or uh stands for a very special old pale, which uh, even though it's French is designed for selling to the English, which holds very much true in terms of like rum and rum production selling to Americans and the rest of the world. Uh, so um, rum Clement comes from Martinique. It is aged uh, in oak barrels and it's fucking lovely and funky and weird. Um, but just like, um, mature enough. It's like, uh, it's like when your homies, um, uh, grow up goth and then they turn into like really cool adults, even though when they were goth, they were like super emo and like kind of annoying to listen to, but also like still homies. Um, uh, but, but then like growing into adults and they like wear leather jackets still, and they're like really into it. Um, uh, I would say that that's probably like the most adequate description of this rum for people who haven't had it. That is definitely a description. Um, <laughs> you know, so that actually, that actually got me thing. I know we got a little bit distracted with, uh, with the, the origin stories and stuff like that, but, but Debbie with the, with the 6,100, the, the Armenian wine that, that you chose, what what do you love about it? I mean, because obviously when we're when we're talking wine, not a whole lot of people are talking about Armenian wine. So like, what is what is it about that that really kind of draws you to it? Well, the wine itself, um, again, the grape Areni Noir is indigenous um, to that part of the world to Armenia, um, and 
it's a medium bodied wine. Um, it's delicious. I enjoy it very much. But in particular, what I appreciate is kind of the story behind um, wine from Armenia, you know, um, 6100. Uh, so it's called 6100 um, because of the Arini One Cave Complex that was discovered, I think, back in 2007. Um, I might be a little off on that. But there's just like ancient production sites in that part of the world. And it's fun. I mean, I really like history. I'm not a historian per se, but I enjoy the story, you know. Um, Armenian wine mm -hmm. is, you know, simultaneously ancient and new um, due to, you know, 19th century communist rule um, in the area. Um, wine production was put on the back burner for such a long time with like brandy being a, a big deal for years. And so it wasn't until more recently that um, there was kind of a renaissance. And I just think it's really special. You know, I, I like hearing that about those stories and uh, stuff like that, you know. Totally. Drew, Drew, I see you chomping at the bit, man. Like, do you want to like go into some of the history that you've got about the region? Not uh, no, I, I mean I, I think that's I think that's absolutely it, and it's funny because I mean I know of that brand because Debbie told me about it, and she um, she was like, because they do some pretty bulk orders, but occasionally uh, JVS gets to come in and fill some gaps for them and and stuff like that, which is which is always fun, and because of the access that we have to different things, she's like, hey, you can probably get this for me. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, went, went, went to my boss and was like, I was like, Hey, can, can we get this, this Trinity wine or, or something like that? And uh, he's like, yeah, absolutely. So we were able to pull a couple of cases and, and, and I definitely like had that experience. And I think it's also part of, you know, I, I think I, a lot of the things that I've been drinking over the past year have been Georgian wines, but there's so much, there's so many similarities between like the Georgian wines and the, um, and the, uh, Armenian ones. I think you have a really, that's a really beautiful way to put it where it's like, it's this historical stuff that is also brand new because you're right. It was completely wiped out and it's this stuff that was operating on this completely political stage where, um, you know, with these, with these wines no longer being valued and nobody was producing them. And then now you have this generation that's coming in and kind of be like, no, 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 we're, we're bringing this back. And I think with, with Armenia and, even with our own portfolio, yeah, a lot of emphasis goes on to the brandy side of it. And something like Ararat, who they they predate cognac. They can be called cognac, which I think is – they don't do it, but they can, which is crazy, you know, because of just how long they've they've been doing that. But you don't get to hear about Armenian wines nearly enough. And I, and I, I also think that's one of the reasons that it's cool to go to Caswell because, like, you can have that stuff. Or another one that you guys do uh, – work with as well as like Kassara. I think we've talked about Kassara on, on this podcast as well. And that's from, from Lebanon. So having those unique offerings with these super, super rich histories of um, production and like, you know, talk about just ancient vines and, and things like that, even though unfortunately a lot of them did get ripped out during the, during communism and, and stuff like that. But seeing, seeing that Renaissance come back is, is really cool. And it's definitely a, it's definitely an area that I want to explore more for myself. I think one of the fascinating things that happened during, like when we're talking about like communist bloc 
um, was, and I, I believe Drew, you, you told me this or, or led me down the rabbit hole of finding this, whatever the case was, um, that during the communist bloc, USSR, uh, uh, delegated Armenia to being a brandy manufacturing province and Georgia to be a wine production province, uh, pro- Providence, the pro- province, province, uh, state, place, <laughs> place, thing within gates. I don't know. Um, uh, which is fascinating because both regions having having produced both historically and USSR was just said, no, 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 we're done with this and you're doing this and you're doing that. Right. Well, it's, it's so bizarre because that was something that um, like Joseph Stalin was like the best wine comes from Georgia. So you're going to do that. You're not doing anything else. And then, you know, yeah, it basically turns around. It's like, nope, Armenia, you just do brandy now because you guys do good brandy and that's all that you're concerned. And it's just, it's so crazy that you can, that because of this, this level of, you know, dictatorship, essentially that the whole industry can be ruined. But I'm glad that there's places like Caswell that's bringing this stuff back and a place that you can go and have these really unique offerings because, you know, I, I think obviously we're really blessed to be in California where we have like these really great wines and stuff like that, but it's fun to push your palate and it's fun to try new things and different interpretations. I mean, you know, unfortunately I think people do get too hung up on the California stuff where they're like, Oh, I, that's all I drink. And I'm like, Oh man, they're, I feel like more often than not now I I'll have a wine. Like I had one the other night when I was in Napa where I was just was like, this is horrible. Like, I don't know what I ordered. Thank God I was already kind of three sheets, but I wasn't drunk enough not to know how bad it was. So it's, it's just super frustrating. <laughs> I can't, I can't emphasize enough how much we need to drink other people's stuff, especially Armenian wine. Cause that is super rad and fun. Well- and Debbie, this it's called sixty one hundred because of because of why? Like, what 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 does that label uh, um, refer from to? My understanding, it's called sixty one hundred Trinity um, because of the cave, the ancient cave that dates back about sixty one hundred years. Um, and that is my understanding. Um, I know, you know, you know, in terms of like ancient sites. Um, Georgia, 8,000 years, stuff like that. I mean, it's it's so interesting, right? Like, where's the oldest from, like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that is why they call it that. 6,100 years for wine. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. It's really yeah. fucking cool. And I, I, will about- tell you, I will tell you, um, as someone who's poured that wine a lot and consumed a fair amount of it uh, myself, I... I very much enjoy that wine. It is it is just delicious. True. What are you drinking? Time. Well, so I'm not drinking anything tonight because I feel like I'm still waterlogged from Saturday. Um, I really, really drank too much. But I wanted to feature something, and I wanted to tie it back to Casbah. Um, and this is one that's a little bit outside of everything that we're just talking about. And, and I want to show it because this bottle here is one that Chris and my youngest brother, Michael, all sat down at the Casbah bar one night and drank the entire bottle to ourselves. Um, and so that's going to be the California Fernet. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
And uh, so this this is one that I've had on on the podcast before. And, you know, it's from Yeager Spirits. And it's one of my favorite Fernets. It's super easy to drink. Um, and I just remember the whole time that we were crushing this bottle. Like after every time we did a shot, I would just yell depletions. And um, which is which is what you're always trying to do as a uh, like, you know, when you sell in a product, you want that product to go away. So the account has to order it again. Now, obviously, it makes more sense for other people to buy that product. So you're not using your own money that you earned by selling it to to deplete that bottle. But um, that night, we decided that we were drinking the entire thing as we were enjoying some really great food as well. You know, what's really funny about this story is um, I don't remember it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that totally that totally checks out. And I and I think it was. It was also a night where it wasn't just the California Fernet because I think at a certain point, um, Travis from Kettle One came in and made us do, oh my God, shots. Oh, I, I do remember this now. Yeah. Well, well, only he... because Travis has only been in that bar one time. And his his uh, first comment when he walked into the place was saying, what the hell this is the most Chris Sinclair place I ever thought I would ever see. <laughs> uh, which to this day, Drew still says that it's the, it's the smartest decision I ever made was working there and is the best. Something, something along the lines of it's more, it makes more sense for me to be there than it is, does in my own space. It was a hundred percent it. I, I mean, like I remember when you told me you were going there and I was like, I can't think of a better more esoteric bar than than Casbah for you. So so again, Debbie, credit credit to you for for creating this space that was that was so so much fun and continues to be fun. And we look forward to having more fun and getting more depletions at the bar um, when we're able to again, which I'm which I'm very 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 excited about. But I think now it's time for our opinion on facts that we heard from reputable sources. So unfortunately for for Debbie, she can't hear any of the sound drops right now. So like we're having to do all these different moves. Like we're like dancing to the music, and she's like, "What are these idiots doing?" Like <laughs> we're like, "You'll hear it. You'll hear it eventually." Um, okay. So so one of the things that I found this week, which I think is always always fun to kind of go through, was some of the biggest trademark smacks that have occurred over over the history of of spirits. And so basically, what we're talking about is. Uh, you know, a brand will sue another brand for some trademark infringement. And there's been lots of different, art, you know, uh, cases of this, whether it was very recently with Conor McGregor and the Notorious Whiskey or trying to call it Notorious um, or something dating back when it comes to uh, like Havana Club with Pernod and the in uh, the Bacardi group. So so, Debbie, I'm going to start with you. you. We sent you this list. Was there any of them on there that jumped out to you that you just kind of either got a chuckle out of or you thought was a little bit more entertaining than the rest? I definitely thought the McGregor one was kind of funny. Um, Notorious. It's like, okay, okay, you know. Um, But, yeah, that one was pretty funny. Um, There are a couple of others. uh, I got to, like, rack my brain for a sec. But um, what do you guys think? What was your initial take? 
so I always I always like these types of things because I find them incredibly petty, you know, where you're kind of like you're like, wow, these are these are million dollar, you know, or billion dollar companies, it's international companies that sometimes they they go after some ridiculous ones. And um, but I think my favorite was there was a uh, there was a there was a trademark dispute that was filed by the independent bottler Duncan Taylor, and they they filed it against the uh, Loch Ness was it Loch Ness Distilling Company who did like a, who does gins they did like six different ones and so Duncan Taylor like went after them was like no you can't call us anymore because way back in the day we did a Loch Ness whiskey and you're causing confusion and stuff like that and then. Um, through good lawyering, um, they were able to determine it's like, oh no, there's two instances where you like said like this was not lo- no longer a thing. And so basically the judge throws it out and then makes Duncan Taylor pay a little over nine thousand dollars in, you know, uh legal fees to to this little tiny Loch Ness Spirits company, which I gotta tell you, like they probably never really would have gone too many places. Right. I and mean, it's just a small distilling company and who knows, but like now they're, cause I, I had heard that story before and it was like, I never would have heard of that. Had Duncan Taylor just been like, okay, whatever. We're going to, we're going to let this one slide. Um, and then the other one that I thought was hilarious was the Admiral Nelson and Captain Morgan one, because that's obviously something that I've always looked at Admiral Nelson, like, man, that is just, very much so going after the Captain Morgan vibes and a judge in Canada felt the same way and was like, you cannot do this anymore. And then um, they were forced to pay fines to Diageo, which is also hilarious because it's like Diageo again, being the biggest spirits company in the world, getting a couple payouts on some, on some trademark infringement, but they're, they are very aggressive with their, with their trademarks. Um, Chris, what about you? Was there any in there that where you thought were more funny than the others? Yeah, I'm, uh, I laughed uh, uh, inwardly um, at at the story that had to do with Glenn Fittick suing an Indian company over their their uh, malt whiskey, which is called Glen Field, and Glenn Glenn Fittick decided um, that Glen Field sounded too much like Glenn Fittick uh, because it's Glen F. Um, and that was pretty much all that they had to stand on. Um, and I find that hilarious because we all know that the, the swingers joke of, uh, you know, give me a scotch, any scotch, Glenn, any Glenn will do. Uh, uh, so there are many, many Glens as we know. Uh, and so a Glenn with Glenn F apparently coming from India was unacceptable, um and oh uh oh and apparently because it also has a d so there's an f in the d after the word glenn and so that was the entire purpose of their suit uh which just goes to show how ridiculous some of these things are um the conor mcgregor one is especially um funny because hang on i have have to scroll back i apologize because i have to remind myself here um what was really entertaining about about this um about this story was the uh, proper 12 right uh no yep that's what it's called that's yep. what it's called now that's what it's called now 
This is riveting, riveting podcasting as you uh, read this. I know. Well, you know what, man? <laughs> For as many as many times as you like, as you're trying to find your your uh, your production credits. Here we go. Uh, losing, uh, losing the battle to the uh, Aberdeen football. Right? Am I? No, I'm misreading that. That's a different For, one. That's a different one. Forgive me. It's all uh, over the place. Well, okay, so, uh, that, so this, this actually. Please continue without me. Well, this this reminds me of of what we've talked about with like craft beer before and stuff, and where a lot of craft breweries will do very recognizable names and like pop culture references and stuff like that, where eventually they get a cease and desist from whoever owns that trademark, and they were like, okay, well that's fine because it was a one run type of thing. Um, Debbie, a question for you is: at any point. Has Casbah been hit with any trademark disputes or have you ever had maybe like a cocktail on the list or something where you're kind of like, Oh, I don't know if we're going to get away with this one, but we'll see what happens. Well, you know, the interesting thing about trademarks and, and stuff is like, it's similar to music, right? Where it's all been done before. Um, At least not exactly with trademarks literally, but about ideas of what to name things and, ideas and thoughts of what to call things, et cetera. Um, we have never been hit with uh, anything like that, but it's funny. Um, I know y'all uh, like that bar, the green zone, um, which I do as well. Um, <laughs> one of our cocktails this past fall, yes. we called a few of my favorite things, um, referencing um, one of our bartender and manager, Erica, um, it had a bunch of her favorite ingredients like chocolate bitters, bourbon, fig, etc. So we called it that because it was like all things she loved, you know. And then I was just scrolling through uh, Green Zone Instagram recently and realized they added a cocktail called A Few of My Favorite Things, you know. And it was completely different, but it just goes to show that it's it's easy to choose the same thing, you know, unintentionally, right? Um, yeah, what it is so. Well, it's also it's funny because like both of you are are you know Middle Eastern bars, so the fact that you guys you obviously have that common thread, and then for you to come up with the same cocktail name is is uh, is pretty great. Well, and, and speaking of that, like when it comes to when it comes to you know doing these names and stuff, because you are working with more unusual ingredients, right? And cocktail lists are already inherently like really tough, and I actually like back in normal times you would workshop a lot of names and stuff via social media and uh like what do you guys think of this what do you think of that which i always thought was so collaborative and i always really enjoyed it but when it comes to you know doing that and working with unique items and and spirits and liqueurs and stuff like that like is there is there something that you guys try to achieve with each cocktail name to make it more approachable? i mean how what's that process like at a place like casbah well, you know, back when Chris was working there, um, he used his sense of humor, right, with, like, naming a few drinks. Um, he likes puns, you know, stuff like that. Um, you're funny, Chris, just saying. But, like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one believes you. Um, sometimes I get a little too in my head about what to name a drink, and it's not um, as easily accessible to, like, 
everybody, you know? So if it's like really hard to pronounce, for example, um, it might not get ordered as much. We, um, mm -hmm. you know, each season when we make new drinks, sometimes it's like, my gosh, what, what do we call this? What do we call this? What do we call this? And that's when it is fun to pick to social. And some of my friends in my uh, social media network have really given me some of the best names ever, you know, clever stuff. Uh, a few years yeah. ago, we had a cranberry uh, mezcal drink uh, with Harissa uh, North African chili paste. And uh, my friend Ray said, hey, let's call it Harissa Explains It All, you know, a play on um, that show. I think it was from the 90s, Clarissa Explains It All. And I, I would love. Oh, yeah. so, I was so mad I didn't come up with that. So mad. And um, you oh, know, that's a great name. Such a good name. Bring that to a table and like sing the theme song. Na 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 na. However, a lot of people wouldn't get you know what I was doing. I was just na naing at them with no context, you know, that they could understand. <laughs> but it's all good. I had fun. That is that's such a clever way of taking like such a unique ingredient and then I mean and obviously it's not gonna hit nostalgia for everybody, but for the people who do hit that nostalgia point, it's kinda like, oh well, I definitely need to order that because I don't I don't know what this paste is, but it's a great name. So let's drink that one next, you know. I think that's I think that's really awesome. That's a fun way to go about it. Um, Chris, have you finally read the article? Is there is there a trademark that you want to talk about more, or maybe you want to talk about your cocktail naming uh, history? Ouch! Uh, yeah, yeah, there is. God damn it! Uh, all right. A uh, the um, uh, Havana Club uh, dispute between Bacardi and Pernod Ricard, which is long ongoing tumultuous uh very entertaining and i don't think really too many people actually care about it is probably um they break it down on a, a really digestible level in this article which i really enjoy uh on top of that uh the american eagle whiskey cracked me up uh for two reasons a they weren't sued by american eagle um in the clothing of, company, the clothing company, you know, the one, that, like, that the one yeah. that hired all the, like the attractive, like swim guys and, and like swim gals, right. Like from your high school to work in this clothing shop. No, they were, they were sued by, um, um, I Sazerac um, it's by Sazerac. And I keep wanting to say wild Eagle, but it's, um, um, it's, it, which is not, it because it's wild turkey my brain is fried today by the way everybody so i apologize um uh eagle rare jesus christ chris you're bad at your job um so they were sued by eagle rare uh which i i finding really entertaining uh less so that it's eagle rare and more so that it wasn't by american eagle the clothing company um yeah. which i totally could see them putting out a an american whiskey um or at least an american whiskey perfume a clone or something like that that definitely seems like them yeah so to 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 back it up a little bit because i know that we've talked about the havana club thing before but you know who knows when that was at that 
at this point. And we actually we did a did we did a live tasting of the Pernod Ricard Havana Club versus the Bacardi or or I'm sorry the um or the actual Havana Club. So or so the actual are, Havana Club. The actual Havana <laughs> Club. So so basically what what you have happened is during the Cuban Revolution the the family that made Havana Club, the infamous Cuban rum, is forced out of the country, right? They flee the country, they flee to Mexico, and um, they end up, it's the it's the Bacardi family, and well, no, they go to Puerto Rico, and then, but they're also like some, some of Mexico as well, and then a few years back, Bacardi launches Havana Club rum. But it's coming out of Puerto Rico and not Cuba. Well, we can't get the the quote unquote real Havana Club rum because it's from Cuba and we have an embargo. And it's a real shame because I think it's one of the best rums for its price that's out there. Um, now, of course, you can any time that you're in any international air, airport, you can go to the duty free shop and you're going to be able to buy Havana Club there. And I cannot recommend it enough i think it's always a great idea to load up on havana club the legit one but you should also you should also send us some if you do that yeah 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 definitely do that um but also then a couple of years ago when obama was getting really close or took that trip to cuba which was the first time a u.s president had been on cuban soil in a very long time i got super excited because i was like oh my god we're gonna get cuban rum in the U.S. and Havana Club is great, but there's so many brands that are produced down there and are fantastic. Like Centera is one of my favorite rums that you just can't get anywhere unless you actually go to Cuba. So um, I just really hope that that happens. So that's so what I think the dispute ended up being that was it the Havana Club that tried to sue. Pernod or the the Bacardi group for doing the the trademark infringement, even though they don't really have any claim to it in the U.S. because of the embargo. Yeah, it was Pernod that that sued Bacardi. Yeah. Wait, no, no. What is wait? Pernod owns Bacardi. No, no. Pernod own Pernod International owns the Cuban Havana Club. Okay. All right. Bacardi relaunched their own version of Havana club. You know, it's uh, sort of neither here nor there, but I heard this really interesting rumor a few years ago um, that I have yet to disprove. Um, And that is that the Bacardi family and Bacardi corporation is uh, one of the largest lobbyists for maintaining that embargo um, between Cuba and the U S they spend more money per year than anybody else to maintain that. Um, and I haven't, I haven't heard, uh, uh, reasons why not. Um, so it's, uh, I, I put it out there as an interesting rumor, uh, that, uh, Chris has heard at one point in time and has yet to disprove. I feel like that's something that we could research, right? Like that seems like something that's like Googleable. Like you're, are you supposed to disclose, where you're spending money and stuff like that as these groups. 
Yeah, but uh, I mean, money gets lost in 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 super PACs and whatnot uh, pretty quickly. Mm, government. Okay. Well, I think that I think that pretty much handles the trademark situation. <laughs> yeah. You're right. It does. All right. And so now on to our second story. Um, Reserve Bar gets a equity investment from Southern Glazer. What Reserve Bar is, is an online retailer that um, people can go through to find different spirits that they're looking for and uh, have them shipped directly to their homes. Typically, the way that this stuff like this works is they work with local retailers in different states. And so you go ahead, you visit their site, you um, find what you want to do, you pay through them. And so they're basically like a third party. This is interesting because Southern, obviously being a big distributor, is also selling to these accounts. So it's kind of interesting to be like, okay, well, what would be the main motivating factor for, for Southern having like this kind of um, investment. And then also, is there any conflict of interest that now they have this direct line to consumers when you have the three tier system in place to prevent things like this? Um, so with all that fun, fun jargon, um, Debbie, do you have any thoughts on the, ongoing monopoly that Southern has established in the United States. I don't have uh, too many, you know, eloquent or amazing thoughts on it other than it would be nice if, you know, the small guy can have, you know, similar access, right? But that's just not the way the world works, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I think that yeah, it is interesting, and you bring up a good point about the possible conflict of interest, you know? Um, I think, I don't know, I think the whole the whole idea, it's, it's interesting, indeed. Um, in terms of Reserve Bar, I actually went onto their website today to read a little bit more about the uh, Spirited Change Initiative. Um, which is expanding access, providing marketing for women, minority owned suppliers. Um, And I think like that whole thing is pretty cool. You know, Um, from their website, they did put out a statistic um, that less than 5% of all wine and spirit brands are owned by women or, you know, black indigenous people of color. Um, That is, that's an interesting Mm -hmm. statistic, you know, um, that stood out to me in particular. So, yeah, that's something that that I remember we talked about, you know, kind of the middle of last year, um, just in terms of like supporting brands and trying to find brands that were either, uh, you know, owned by owned by women or minority owned in in general. And so, I think that if you have someone on this scale continuing to at least highlight it and spotlight it. I mean, it's, it's something that I remember talking with Chris about it. And I think infamously at one point, he's just like, I'm really frustrated by how hard this is to find. And I was like, well, this is also the first time you're asking, 
you know? And I think that was something that both of us were kind of like, oh man, like this is something that we've never thought of before and, and things like that. And, and unfortunately, or, or fortunately, like we got turned on to some, to some really cool stuff. Like, uh, like Brown Estates is some really fantastic wine that I wasn't drinking last year that I do now. So, um, I, I think from, from that perspective, which is potentially a little bit more interesting, um, you know, moving forward as a, as a woman owned business is, was that something that was part of like, is that part of your decision-making process when you're buying things or the people that you work with, uh, whether it could be food or is that anything that both you and you and Tanya consider? Well, I definitely think that, uh, just, you know, fundamentally the fact that we do order most, uh, most things that we highlight at the bar from Middle East in particular is already special, you know, and, um, in terms of, uh, like that, for example, like Lebanese Adak corporation, um, that we order a lot of our stuff through, you know, their story is really interesting. Um, the history along the lines of, uh, they were established, uh, under the name Carlo winery in 1938 in Lebanon, but in the seventies due to civil war, like their winery was destroyed. So they moved to LA, uh, to restart, you know, a, a few decades ago and we order a lot of stuff from them, you know, um, there's a woman that I speak to on the phone every time I order, which is only a few times a year because we have to get a pallet every time. Uh, her name's Annie and I've never met her face to face, but, um, I can just hear in her voice, like that this is a, a, a very gracious, cool person, you know, and, uh, just being able to support you know, companies like them, like Terra Sancta, a trading company, they're in Florida now, but the sons, um, Jason and Saeed, their brothers, um, you know, they, they grew up in San Francisco and, um, their family is of, I believe, Palestinian descent. Um, like they sell cool stuff. Oh yeah. Actually this bottle that uh, I'm drinking tonight the golden Arak, um, you know, they import it, mm -hmm. so stuff like that. Um, but in terms of like female owned brands, I would love to, you know, in the next year, try to focus more on that because it's, it's really important to have representation. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, so Chris, uh, moving back to the, to the reserve bar story and, um, you know, some of the efforts that they're putting out, what are, what are your thoughts with, with Southern's investment in, into this? Because I, I would have to imagine as a retailer, this is something that has got to be a little bit concerning unless you're one of the reserve bar fulfillment accounts, you know? So what, what does this mean or how are you interpreting this news that Southern is taking an interest in, in this type of format? Yeah. I, I, had two thoughts right off the bat. One was, Oh, that's kind of neat. Like they're, they're taking their attention and using their massive reach to be able to get people to buy their products, right? Like the products that they buy, the products that they sell, the products that they distribute. Um, and they're, you know, just drawing attention to it, which is, that's cool. The, the problem, though, in practice is, is that 
companies like this typically um, uh, will find like you like you said they're like premier accounts right so they'll, they'll end up going to bevmo the same way like drizzly does right like they say that like you can order from from anyone in your local area it's like yeah anyone in your local area as long as you're not around like a bevmo otherwise that bevmo is going to be like or a total wine like that's going to be their like ultimate fulfillment center um mm-hmm. so it's it it's really cool in theory um i i think it's neat that they're putting time, energy, and resources into advertising. They found a way to advertise their own, their own products, um, which I, I don't really think hurts anybody. Um, and just, you know, goes, adds their voice to the marketplace, which I think is fine. But, um, like you said about being a fulfillment center, like unless, unless you're a big guy like that who can adequately and constantly do it, I don't, I don't foresee them pushing people um, to places like mine, um, which sucks, but also, uh, you know, I buy a lot from Southern. I don't buy everything from Southern. So it's, I can't really blame them too much. Right. Um, they're just doing what they got to do, but they're they're a behemoth of a distribu- distribution company. I mean, they're the largest one in the country um, now being matched by R&DC, which just acquired Young's uh, here in California. And, and, you know, so it's just two companies that are just giants um, that have, a, you know, they're gridlocked on on pretty much the the majority of the of the industry and and the selection that you can get. It's kind of like an arms race for distributors right now, you know, is what it is, what it feels like. Um, it actually does make me think of, an, you know, another thing that has happened over the past year um, is, you know, a lot of changes for like restaurants and stuff like that. And, and Debbie, I'm curious with the, the unique selection that you guys have at, at Casbah and, you know, again, moving back towards a situation where people can eat inside again and and stuff like that. But, you know, bars are able to sell bottles wholesale um, and they weren't able to do that before. Do you think that's something that you guys will look into because it's, because again, like you have such a unique offering. Is it something that, that you guys are going to explore is like, like, Hey, if you like this bottle here, take home a six pack (laughs) or, or or grab yourself some, a rock that you, that you won't find at too many other places. Like what have you, have you had any discussions like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, just the other day I sold a few cases of wine to somebody for a wedding, um, both the white and the red wine were from Lebanon. Um, the person who bought it had never tasted it before. She really enjoyed that was cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we we do get occasional requests for full bottles of Arak, uh, you know, by the case, et cetera. That gets a little bit more tricky because if we don't have enough on hand, um, I need to kind of uh, estimate like, how much can I spare before I have to do like another ginormous order, et cetera. Um, that's where actually Drew, you and JVS have been really, really cool. Um, Cause if we run out of something in particular, you have access to a lot of the uh, bottles that we carry. And that's been really helpful and appreciated, you know? Um, but it's definitely a market worth looking more into because with the pandemic, like all restaurants, bars, et cetera, it's been adapt, 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 you know, 
every week, every month, there's something new, there's something we didn't expect, uh, open, close, open, close, fire, you know, um, et cetera. It's been a tough year, but just got to keep versatile, keep energetic. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think that's, that's kind of the name of the game. It's, it's, it's been a year of pivots, but um, hopefully, hopefully we're getting to a point where, where we can move forward and, you know, have some, have some cool stuff and get to go drink full bottles of Fernet at your bar again and a rock for that matter. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to jump in here, um, and, and tag on to a point that, that Debbie made about, uh, supporting, you know, women owned brands and, uh, brands owned and, uh, created and curated by, by quote unquote minorities. Um, uh, we have talked about this actually more than a few times, Drew, on this podcast, and we, you know, I think one of the one of the biggest um, stories that that we really engaged in this conversation was Constellation Brands creating their um, their fund for investing in in brands and startups, right? That were owned by women, owned by uh, people of color. Um, and at that time, you know, you and I both both said, yeah, fucking do it. Right. Like the more the more engagement, the more diverse voices that we get in the industry is only the the faster that we get to drink cooler, more interesting shit. Um, and so I think I think Southern making this move into that realm, into into um, in investing time and energy and resources into promoting brands like this not only is like a good pr move but i think it's a good business move and there's no way that a company is like giant as that wouldn't make that move without having done that calculation right like they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts they're doing it because it makes good financial sense Right. It looks good on paper to say, yes, we're going to we're going to support these brands. But also these are brands that theoretically haven't sold a ton. Um, and we are going to promote them so that way now they sell a ton. So we get to make even more money. Plus, then we get to add that notch into our belt and saying, like, look at what we did for this brand. Like we are brand builders. Um uh you could see really similar uh similar things with like uncle nearest right women owned african-american owned uh brand got a got a great history um for um uh um in the whiskey world like great story um and now it's like the the top selling whiskey brand uh for you know african-american owners quote unquote which is it's a silly category but but you understand what I'm saying, right? Like is, is the, it makes financial sense and it looks good for a company to put this energy into doing this sort of thing. Um, and you and I have been promoting this since the day we started this podcast, you know, the more, the more diverse voices that we get into this industry and the more, um, um, interesting perspectives, and pallets that we get. And it's not just like the same fucking people creating drinks, creating juice, creating booze. 
then the cooler shit we all get to drink. We all benefit from something like that. So um, I, I, for one, was very excited to see that aspect in in the reserve bar portfolio. Yeah, and you have to imagine that, like for a lot of people who who saw this story, who saw this story and saw this, you know, major investment that because you know Southern can't do anything without causing waves in some way or another. But you know, it Debbie's a perfect situation where it's like she goes to Reserve Bar for the first time, and that's right on their landing page. You know, the first thing that you see is this this initiative. So, um, you know, if anything, that's, that's one of the major positives to come out of and kind of be like, and maybe somebody looks at it like, Oh, I didn't know that was women owned. Like, that's great. You know, or, or this or that. So, um, so I know that we kind of went off on some tangents there, but that's the best part. That's the best part about this whole, this whole show is that it's structured kind of, but not really. Right structured sort of wave your hands you know who's dope them over there okay now time for my favorite part of the show and this is where we tell you who you should be following with our dope follows of the week it could be another podcast hopefully not but it could be uh it could be a book Instagram accounts, Facebook accounts, what whatever the case may be, um, just make it a good one, and then go check these people out. Follow them. It could be for sometimes it's industry related, sometimes it's definitely not, and Chris is going to prove that tonight. Uh, but Debbie, we're going to start with you. Who's your who's your dope follow this week? So my follow this week. Um, is it's an Instagram account that I discovered um, in the wake of the recent shootings uh, that happened at the massage parlors. Um, the The account is Red Canary Song, um, and it's based out of New York City, and um, it's focused on uh, kind of organizing with migrant and uh, Asian sex, sex workers focusing on anti-trafficking uh, and... Um, decriminalization of let's be specific adult consensual sex work you know not to be confused with um you know human trafficking again or uh, anything involving involving uh non-adults right um and just you know i spent a lot of time this past week uh thinking about being asian and just how a lot of the narrative of what I hear out there uh, right now is stuff that I've felt all my life, you know, none of it's new. Um, But it is interesting uh, being able to see people uh, having dialogue about this kind of stuff, you know? Um, Yeah. And, and, and yeah. So. Do you, in, you don't have to get too much into it if, if you don't want to, because I mean, obviously, like you said, like this is something that you've dealt with your entire life, but you know, in this, in this year where, where there has been a lot of, um, a lot more discussions being had than ever before. Uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything's gotten better. It's just that like, it's a little bit more at the forefront, but after everything that you've witnessed this past week, like, do you see it as a positive or is it kind of like a, okay, this is great. Like, 
yeah, sure, share your Instagram story that to to stop doing this, but what's going to change or anything like that? Like, what's what what's been your interest? Because I think I think your guys's voices between you and Tanya have always been really strong in our community, and you've you've really been. Um, you know, you've had a lot of great things to say over the past year. And so obviously this one hits pretty close to home. What's been the the past week? Like, like when you see that stuff, is it, do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Or do you think it's just like, Hey, this is one step where there's a lot more to do. Well, of course it's good that people are talking about it. Right. It's really bad that that incident happened. It's super tragic. It's completely unacceptable. Um, you know, the rise in, um, Asian hate crimes, due to the pandemic um, and, you know, Kung flu stuff, that whole narrative, um, which is obviously based in, uh, you know, anti-Asian sentiment and racism. Um, It, it is interesting seeing uh, people talk about this because I feel like um, it's not something that I'm used to uh, people talking about it, you know, um, Asian women, for example, are, you know, two and a half times more likely to experience violence than our male counterparts. And a lot of it is based in like, you know, um, like across the globe, it's not just in the United States, but like, you know, war that happened in Vietnam, Cambodia, Korea, Philippines, there's just a longstanding history of violence against Asian women um, just, you know, Hollywood portrayal during World War II of, like, what masculinity was supposed to look like, um, trying to, you know, attract more people to, to serve in the war and stuff, and, like, kind of just where it has ended up, like, for our culture and our, our framework and just where we're at today, you know? Um, I appreciate people being more willing to talk about this, I guess, because... Again, it's just stuff I've always felt, and it, it could be difficult to talk about, you know. Um, and and yeah, I do think that you know, on a slight side note, like Tanya and I, um, the fact that we do own Casbah is is special, and I don't take it for granted. And um, you know, she's of you know Palestinian Amer- Middle Eastern descent, and like you know, she runs. The kitchen, the food, the menu is all stuff that she grew up eating in the home. I run more of the front of the house, you know, but um, I really give her a lot of credit for like the cultural makeup of what we represent in terms of uh, Casbah, you know, Um, and I just feel like it it is important um, what she and I represent, you know, Um, and I don't know. Yeah. So. Well, like you said, it's not, it's not an easy thing to talk about, but it's, it's good that the discussions are happening. And so just, just again, that's, uh, so it's on Instagram and it's the red canary song and you can go ahead and, and follow them here. I'm looking at it now. There's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of stories follow a lot of things to expose yourself to. Um, and, hopefully some, some call to action as well. Chris, uh, who's your dope follow this week? Or should I do mine? Because like yours is going to be a real big departure from, from. Oh Dennis. no. The departure just to see like okay. what it would be. Okay. Uh, All right, Chris, go ahead with yours. 
Debbie, this I feel like this uh, is a this interaction here is a perfect microcosm of of Debbie and uh, Mai's relationship. Debbie's very highbrow, um, uh, very intentional, very like um, aware of her surroundings, and I'm twelve. Um, <laughs> so uh, my dope follow uh, would be the sexual vegetable on Instagram. Uh, and they are pictures of uh, of vegetables that look like genitalia. And it's funny. Uh, not just vegetables, mind you. Sometimes there's cacti yeah. because cacti can be phallic. And that's mm-hmm. funny. Uh, so it is at the sexual underscore vegetable on Instagram. And you're welcome. Okay. Uh, no. So we're we're looking it up now. When I so, oh, you have to request to follow it. Wait, what am I looking oh, at? You can just follow it. Wow, look at that strawberry. That's what I'm saying. You're, <laughs> it's luscious. <laughs> Ecologically aroused, followed by Tim Flair. <laughs> See, you guys are really good at this podcasting stuff, too. So it's sensual vegetable or sexual? Sexual. The sexual vegetable. The sexual? The sexual. Is there a a sensual vegetable? Because I need to follow them as well. (laughs) No. This one's a twofer. (laughs) Good Lord, this is ridiculous. This is so graphic. I went to Good Bottle today and Chris was like, you have to see my don't follow. And we never do that. Like we find out each other's don't follows on the show. And he's like, you need to see this. And I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Which is also really funny because former guest Christina Mae Henderson sent me a picture of Peppa Pig cookies today that look like a bunch of dicks. So um, I've had a lot of phallic related (laughs) food items on my more often than not today. Like that is usually around a a four today. I had a 10. I had a 10 of phallic food items in my life today. Here's the thing. We've all been trapped indoors for a year. We've all been learning how to cook. Uh, And if you've been trapped indoor without your significant other, or with, I don't know your situation. Uh, maybe you haven't had the uh, the proper amount of uh, phallic exercise that you need. So phallic exercise, sexual exercise, uh, you know, whatever sort of exercise that you need in this uh, time, uh, you know. Uh, so we're left to the devices of our own imagination. And obviously some people just come up with sexual vegetables and uh, phallic cookies. Some of and these that's are some of these are intensely sexual. Like, like it's it's crazy. You're kind of like you're like, how is that real? Like, it was carved by the gods. I don't know. Like, this <laughs> is um... <laughs> Drew. I've got a really uncomfortable one. I'm going to send you uh, once we're off air. I'm going to send it to both you and Debbie because I feel like um, uh, Drew Drew's 
uh, incredulous reaction and Debbie's um, um, slightly weirded out uh, uh, <laughs> reaction will both make me very happy. Okay. All right. Good. All right, Drew, what's yours? Um, so, so mine is, so it started, it started with a podcast and then it worked its way into a book and then finalized itself with a Instagram account. And so my, my Instagram account that that I want you guys to follow is Jen Sincero and that's J E N S I N C E R O. And so she is a freelance writer, a New York Times bestseller. She wrote the book, You Are a Badass at Making Money. And so, Chris, you know, this this is something that I told you the other day that I was like, you need to listen to this, to this book and or read it. And I'm going to harass you about it every single day until you do it. Because, it's because I'm I'm not a badass at making money. So that's well, why and, Drew is making and, me do that. And neither and neither am I. But I I've been on this kick this year of really trying to visualize things. And I think, I think after last year and having so many things stripped away where it's like, I'm, I'm no longer playing these games. Like I've always been a big proponent of good vibes and stuff like that. But like now, like I really am trying to put this out into the universe to the point where me and my wife did a freaking vision board. Like, it's true. I was going to bring it up. It's, it's really impressive. <laughs> very, and, very impressive. And they're, they're both hanging in our bathrooms or our bathroom. So uh, both of them are, are up there. And I got to tell you, you know, we're, we're halfway, we're halfway or, you know, through March and both Caitlin and I are having just really wonderful years. And a lot of the things that we put onto these boards have manifested themselves. And so this this book that I'm reading or listening to, I'm doing the audiobook, is very much so about changing that mindset and and manifesting more ability. And I just I love the way that she talks about how she's going to earn money and stuff like that. I just think it's really interesting. And I think now more than ever, especially for people in our industry, right, who have just been shit on for the past year where it's like, okay, there's been so much that's out of our control and we've beat ourselves up. We've been broken down to tears where we've come back and there's still a long way to go on the fight. Like by no means, even if everything goes hundred percent open tomorrow, there's still a tremendous mountain that we all have to climb that it's like getting your mind in the right place is so important right now. And just to have that mental strength. And I think that this book, it just, it, it's rewiring how I talk about myself, how I'm going to talk to my friends, how I'm going to cultivate this world around me. And I just, I cannot recommend it enough. I'm telling, I mean, like I said, I, I told you, I was like, you need to go read this. Cause I think we both really needed it. Um, and then now I'm telling all of our lovely. So again, her name is Jen Sincero, and uh, the book is "You Are a Badass at Making Money." And I think she she also has another book that's like "You Are a Badass at Life," was like her original one, which actually Caitlin read, and then went and bought this book. And then now we have a library at our house, which was one of the things that Caitlin wanted to do this year. 
And she's like, oh, I already have that book. And I was like, of course. I, why, didn't, why didn't I not go check the library before I bought the audiobook? You know, so now I, I have to work that into my daily routine of go look at one of the million books that my wife now has. But uh, but yeah, so that's my so that's my don't follow. So I've got a question for you, Drew. Um, I as someone who has witnessed this, your um, your vision board is, uh, for lack of a better term, aggressive. Uh, um, are the vision boards hanging next to each other? Uh, yours and Caitlin's? No. So we have a, we have a dual sync, uh, little setup. And so my side is the left side. Caitlin's side is the right side. So on the wall on top of the side, that's where each one hangs. So I guess they're staring at each other. Um, (laughs) and, and, Hers are a lot of like words and, and things like that. Mine's definitely more visually driven. Um, maybe one day I'll share it, but I, I think, I think Chris, you're the only person that's seen it. So um, we'll, I, I we'll was, see what happens. I was concerned that Caitlin might start manifesting your visions uh, as opposed to her own. And I wouldn't want that for her if they were like hanging next to each other, given how like aggressive your vision board is. So now that I know that hers is safe, I feel better about life. Cause um, I trust Caitlin more than you is really what it comes down to. That makes sense. Yeah. That checks out. I get it. The Good Bottle Podcast is brought to you by Fluid Concepts. The music is brought to you by the Brothers More because you always want just a little bit more. This podcast is edited, produced, and researched terribly by these two guys. And uh, before we go and kill these bottles that we are drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts, which is mine is D Garrison Six. Chris's is Chris Sinflair. Debbie, where can they follow you and and Casbah online? Casbah Instagram is at Casbah916. And then my personal Instagram is private, but you could send me a request if you'd like. Woo woo Deb. Or just follow my public account where I mess up and things. Damn it, Debbie Wu. I strongly suggest everybody follows Damn It Debbie Wu. Yeah, that one is so much. It's just it's it's just perfect. It mm-hmm. it really it's subtle. It's but it's to the point. I love it. Uh, it's really it's it's one of my favorites. So definitely follow that one. Um, and then also, if you like to support the podcast and our desire to drink more Armenian wine you can check us out on anchor.fm slash good bottle podcast and if you would like for us to cover a story or if you are working out with a brand that wants to be featured please email us at the good bottle podcast at gmail.com and i promise drew will get back to you in 2022 i now check the email pretty regularly so i'm proud of myself and i'm staying on top of them um as a reminder you can also purchase these bottles that we drank on this episode at the good bottle shop um or at casbah go to casbah and buy some of this armenian wine or a rock from debbie because she she has some she has some for you go buy it 
and give them money and get some of their food as well. And enjoy the atmosphere because it's fucking unique and amazing and you won't find anything like it anywhere. Agreed. So until next time. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Debbie. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. I, I don't know what's going with music again. That's fine. Woo! Here we are. Good Bottle Podcast, baby. You knew what this was. You signed up for it. You hit that follow button. You hit that subscribe button. And you're fucking welcome. Good night. We love you.